Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. If you don't have your Bible with you, we'll have it on the screens. Uh, this is an important passage of Scripture. Um, in, in, in the Synoptic Gospels, you won't find this, uh, this moment in history where Jesus would communicate these uh, specific parables. And so it's really important that we look deeply at the context in which we're reading. And so I want to read verse 1 through 2 real quick, and then we're going to read a little bit more Bible. Is that okay to read some Bible in church? Uh, Verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees uh, and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This is the audience in which Jesus is now telling this this next parable that we're about to read. And we're going to read a lot of Bible in in this moment right now. I just want to tell you, if you have not read your Bible this week, I got you right now. We're going to be okay. I also want to tell you, if you have not read your Bible, read your Bible. (laughs) Power tip. Okay. Verse 11. This is the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued and said, there there was a man who had two sons. Everybody say two sons. sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of my estate. So, so he divided up his property between the two brothers. And not long, not long after that, the younger son got all that he had and set off to a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to a, um, hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. This son had servants, and now he's feeding pigs. Um, this Bible is so tiny. He longed to fill his stomach. Uh, I need the, the large. This is the thin line. Yeah. Uh, he longed to fill, fill his stomach with pods that the pigs uh, were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out, this is his, his speech to himself, his, his, his rehearsed uh, come back to God speech. I will set out and go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So make me like one of your servants. Uh, so he got up, went to his father. And this is so important that we dial in on this. But while he was a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion him, and he ran toward his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. ESV would, would say that the father embraced the son. I love that word, embrace. So the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against you and, in, and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. And those Yeezys that come out in the next three weeks from now, we got them in the back. Go ahead and put them on his feet. And all the people who got the bots were like, amen. I'm just kidding. I'm a sort sneakerhead. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Uh, just a little a quick observation. The, 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 the younger son went to squander his wealth. I could only imagine that he went and bought things. But how funny is it that outside of... Uh, of his relationship with the father, did he probably lose those things and he would come back home and the, and the father would then spoil him, would probably be the very thing that he wanted. 
the, this is the principle of first, that you seek first the kingdom of God, uh, his righteousness and all these other things would be added unto you. And so the son got to experience a little bit of thang thang and got a little bit of drip drip. And so the, the, the dad says, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son, everybody say two sons, was in the field. The older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked them, uh, what's going on? Your brother, the servant said, has, uh, has killed the fattened calf. And because he is back home and safe and sound. But the older brother got angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. And he, said, uh, he answered his father, look, dad, all these years I've been slaving for you and I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you, you've never even given me a young goat so I can celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, just listen, you can read tone in, in scripture. I'm a monotone type of guy. If you ask me if I'm ever pumped about something, usually I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm pumped. But in the Bible, you can literally feel the, 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 the tone in, in the older brother. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf. And then the, the, the father's response says everything about grace. He says, he says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Just real quick, grace is always and grace is everything. And this is what the father said. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So I'm so excited to open up this series. And if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to take notes, uh, today's, uh, tonight's sermon is called When Grace Runs Out. When Grace Runs Out. God, we just thank you right now for these moments that we have together. We don't forsake the gathering of your saints. And so... Uh, God, we ask that you would speak to us, would your word transform us, and may we know a side of you that we've never seen before. Reveal your word to us in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said a big amen. 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 Grace. Repeat after me, say grace. Grace. I was raised uh, Catholic. I'm I'm half Filipino. Um, If you're a Filipino, I would even say like Latino, Mexican, and you grew up Catholic. It's like a different kind of Catholicism. Like, it's not just church on Sundays, bro. We, we, we pray in rosaries on Wednesday nights. Um, but there was this process, and, and, you know, obviously just listening to what my mom wanted me to do, trying to be the best Catholic little boy that I, wanted, that I was trying to be, you know, you would, you would obviously get baptized as an infant, something I didn't even get a choice to do. Uh, you're going in, regardless of what we think. Second, you would go for communion. This would be like you're in about second grade. It's time for you to start receiving uh, the bread of Christ and the, 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 the blood represented in the wine. And, and so now I can partake in this you know, certain part of the service. I remember I was like, I'm, I'm grown. Let's go. Give me that wine. And then you would get confirmed at about 15 or so. And, and I've done all those things. And, and if I could just be honest, I got really good at church. I figured it out. I knew exactly when I was supposed to sit, stand, kneel. I knew those moments when the service was about to end. I knew exactly when, when, when this, that, or the other would take place. And, and the reality is I was caught in what is called religion. I was caught in religion. The reality is there are so many religions on this planet. And I think because of our lack of, a, like, potentially our modern-day vernacular, we would, we would 
run out of words to explain what religion is in regards to Christianity. If somebody asked you, what religion are you? You would just say, I'm Christian. And I think that's just the, I'm not just trying to have a conversation response. You're just, I'm Christian. But can I tell you, this isn't a religion. This is about relationship. This isn't about what we can do to get to God. This isn't about figuring out your service to God. This is about relationship. And so that's the difference. The difference between religion and relationship is the word grace. It was when I was 20 years old, I would walk into a service very much like this, a spirit-filled service, and I would encounter the grace of God. And I begin to learn about God's grace and how God has designed and orchestrated the life we are to live with him by grace. And so it's so important that we define what grace is. We must know what grace is because you can live this life trying to follow Jesus, trying to live for God, and it become a religion. And I, and I know there's so much uh, in this text that could teach us so much about grace, but real quick to just um, define grace. Simply put, if I were to put it in one phrase, grace is the unmerited and undeserved favor of God. Unmerited, undeserved, meaning I cannot work for it, meaning, shout out to the Olympics, but there is no, grace is not the reward. Grace is freely given. Everybody say grace is a gift. You cannot work for it. You cannot earn it and you cannot deserve it. Grace is a gift. Paul would say in Ephesians, this glorious grace that's been freely given to us. Grace is free. Grace is a gift. And it is the great variable of our faith that changes it, changes everything from a religion to a relationship. And so I want to tell you that you and I need grace. In order to be right with God, we need the grace of God. And more than grace being a concept, can I tell you right now, just just jump to the end, grace is a person, and his name is Jesus, and he came from heaven and stood on a cross for our sins. Nothing you could have done for him to do that. That is grace. If I could put it in one word, grace is yes from God. Grace is God's yes over your life. We oftentimes use our occupation or a relationship or, or, or our circumstance or maybe the circle that you run with, and that determines your approval. I'm here to tell you, friend, our approval does not come from those things. Our approval comes from the God that, of the universe who says yes to you. He says yes, Pat. He says yes, JR. He says yes, Melissa. Before we can earn it or deserve it, he approves of you. So it's so important that you receive that approval first from God and that he's giving it. So we need grace. You and I need grace. You and I need the approval of God in order to be in right standing with him. He needs, you need the yes from God and not the yes for like the thing you want. No, God's approval for you exactly where you're at. So we're in Luke 15 and I, you know, we set the table. We we said that there's sinners in this context. Now we got, we got some tax collectors up in this piece and then there are religious Teachers. These are people that would memorize the law. They would know the law from the back of their head and be able to call it out. And then we also have, God bless you, we also have the Pharisees. This is the audience. But before we jump into the, the parable of the lost son, I want to talk about the two parables that Jesus cha- shared right before this one. The first parable is the parable of the lost sheep. Simply put, this story was about a farmer who had a hundred sheep to his care. And then um, and then one sheep got out into the open country, 
ran away and got lost. And so the, the farmer would then leave the 99 to go after the one. I used to read that passage of scripture and be like, man, I guess once you're in the kingdom, it's all, it's sealed. And, and, and you know, it's all about the lost. No, that's not the, that's not the case. The farmer accounted for the 99. He didn't forget the 99. He said, all right, I got 99. I'm going to go after the one. And so if you're in this place and maybe you feel unseen or maybe you, you, you feel overlooked, I'm here to tell you that God's accounted for you. He has approved you. It doesn't matter if you're inside. He's approved you. But the, the farmer would then go out, get the sheep, put it on his shoulder and come back home and say, let's party. We found the lost sheep. This would begin the pattern of what these three parables would begin to, to show us. It is the pattern of the lost being found and then a party happening. The lost being found and a party happening. The next parable we would find is this lady who has 10 coins inside of her house and inside of her house. She would lose one of the, the coins being left with nine and having to, to rummage through her house for this one coin. Again, I would read this scripture and be like, she got nine coins. I don't need another quarter. I'm straight. It'll show up some way, some, um, or maybe I can just ask somebody for a quarter. But when you begin to study the context of what Jesus was saying, back in the day, women would have to wear a headband. And that headband would be a representation of their, of their, we- their union with their husband. So it was essentially their wedding ring. And that, and that band on her head would have 10 coins. And so the one coin that is missing was a, was a representation that the symbol of her union with her husband was now compromised. And so I'd say, why did she go after the coin? She went after the coin because she lost her diamond wedding ring. I know every wife in this room is like, no one's cleaning this house for once. Don't take out the Dyson. Don't do the dishes. Don't turn on the grinder. Let's look for this ring. And so that's what this lady does. She looks for this coin and she finds it. And sure enough, she rejoices and she says, let's party. We found the lost coin. When I begin to look at these two portions of scripture, I really see something interesting prior to talking about the parable of the lost son. We have the parable of the lost sheep who goes on the open country outside of the care and is lost. Then we have a coin that gets lost on the inside of the house. I believe Jesus was foreshadowing what he was going to begin to teach that we are not exempt from being lost simply because you're inside the house. You could be on the outside or you could be on the inside. You could be a professional Christian or you could be someone who's never walked in a church, but there is grace for the lost and the found. There is grace for the person on the outside and there's grace for the person on the inside. Amen. So there we have two sons. Everybody say two sons. We have a younger brother and an older brother. And we read that the, the younger brother is the brother that ran out. But the older brother stayed, but still was lost. I think we can relate most with the older brother. The church, church means ecclesia, it means the gathering of the saints. So oftentimes, the, the, the context of this room would be much people would, in this room would, would say that they know Jesus. They would say that I'm inside the house. But I'm here to tell you, whether you're outside or inside, it doesn't exempt you from being lost. But there is grace for the lost. There is grace for the person on the inside and the outside. Amen? Really, the tension between these two, 
And I believe what we need grace for um, is rebellion and religion. The younger son was rebellious. The older son fell into religion. It became all about what he can do for the father. The younger son, it was all about him figuring out his way through life. But there is grace. Everybody say grace. Grace. So number one, if you're taking notes, uh, uh, number one is there is grace for what's lost. Grace for what's lost. Always there's grace for what's lost. Luke 19.10 says, uh, Jesus says, or it says, for the son of man has come to seek and save that is lost. The very purpose of our savior was to seek and save that which is lost. Can I ask you in this room, honestly, have you lost your concern for the lost? I think oftentimes we could think that maybe one moment we, we, we needed grace, but you know, we, I would say that we graduated from it, we kind of figured this thing out, kind of got church down, we kind of got this whole thing down. I know what to do when the thing happens, when the, when the pastor gets, I know what to do. But we can get really stuck in, in religion and forget that there are lost people. Let's not lose our concern for the lost. The older brother lost his concern for the lost. And I think it's crazy how oftentimes uh, we put a professional Christian expectation on someone who's literally lost and dead in their sin. Can I tell you that coworker that's frustrating you is lost? Can I tell you that family member that just doesn't get what it is you're doing right now, coming to church on Sunday at a 6 p.m.? It's okay. They're, they're just lost. If I could be honest, I've, I've, me and you know, my, my siblings, I have a younger brother and older sister, and we, we love the Lord and we're serving God, and it's incredible to see what we're doing, but it's been hard with our family. And, and, and the reality is, there is grace for the lost. I think sometimes we can lose it for the people that are near to us, and we forget that they need grace just like we needed grace. So oftentimes we would say religion is simply performance-based faith. When you, when you feel like whatever you can do can, can work your way to God or that there is a, some sort of like, uh, you know, structure to this faith system when the reality is God does a heavy lifting. But religion could be the barrier to our ability to see and, 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 and remember that the loss is our concern. And the older brother, I think he, was, he, you know, he fell into religion. But what's crazy about religion is I believe more than it is performance-based, I believe it starts with tone. It starts with tone. All throughout scripture, you'll see religious people of the day question whatever it is God's doing. The older brother is saying, why are we throwing up? Why would you throw? Why would you kill the fat? I've been here questioning the very thing that God's trying to do. God's trying to celebrate the loss. And I'm out here concerned about what I've done for God and and questioning what he's doing right now. Mark chapter two, Jesus would heal a paralytic in plain sight in the middle of a church service. And then you have the religious people of the day, literally as the paralytic would begin to walk out of the church service healed, they would say, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Tone. Matthew twelve ten, Jesus heals a man with a withered hand. Um, says, stretch out your hand. And, and the man's hand comes alive and he has fingers and a crazy miracle takes place in front of people. Someone who did not have a hand now, now has a hand. But yet 
the religious people would say, is it lawful to heal on a Sunday, on the Sabbath? Aren't we supposed to rest? Tone. Don't question what God's doing. That's a very dangerous place to be. Can you ask God questions? Heck yeah. That's how I land to this sermon. I just am asking questions, but I'm not questioning what God is doing because religion will question the very thing that God is doing. And so fun fact is that everyone in this room has a past. You know, I almost called this point grace for your past because sometimes we can think uh, our past either too what wasn't that bad or maybe we've done, a, you know, maybe I did a little bit, you know, I was raised in church as a Catholic boy and maybe feel like I have a little more of an advantage than somebody else that has a, a worse past. I would tell you, if you're in this room and, and uh, you think your past is too much for the grace of God, I'm here to tell you that there is grace for your past and that your past cannot outweigh the, the magnitude and the, and the majestic majesty of the grace of God. While we were yet sinners, Christ came and died. So don't forget, there is grace for your past. Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so as far as I've removed the transgressions from us. And so God is not looking at your past. When you receive the free gift of salvation, he begins to look at his son. And so how does this look like practically? Omar, how do I, how do I, how do I dish this out? Well, let me tell you, invite your coworker to church. Invite your family member to church. Invite your friend to church. Um, this is an incredible series that we're doing. This is honestly going to bless the saint, but it's also going to be revelation for the sinner. And I want to encourage you to bring your family, bring your friends, bring your coworker to church. And more than that, maybe you're like, I don't know if they even listen to me. Pray for them. You know, when I was running through this sermon with Pastor Jabin, uh, I get to run my sermon, sermons with Pastor Jabin Chavez, by the way. Like, biggest life hack of all time. I'm just saying <laughs> But he would say, have a burden for one of the three points, like one that really just, this is my burden because it was Jesus's burden. And so when something becomes a burden, when something becomes heavy on your heart, you begin to pray for that very thing. I want to encourage you, pray for that coworker. We, we don't pray, uh, you know, Monday or Sunday morning and, and 5.30 before the 6 p.m. as a serve team. We don't pray for ourselves. We're praying for the people that are going to come because God could soften the heart of your coworker to maybe say yes to this invitation that you're about to give them. And God could, uh, God could soften the heart of your, your family member or your friend. And so pray for the lost. Amen. Because there is grace for the lost. Number two, there is grace for now. Grace for now. There is grace for you right now. I think we can think sometimes that in the, in the middle season, that there isn't grace. Um, the, father, the father told the older brother, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. So if, 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 God, if, if the father would say that you're always with me, why do sometimes in the middle we feel stuck? We feel like we've, we've actually, I, I would like to paint this picture of, of what a lost and found is. We have a little kitchenette in the back that serves incredibly well um, as coffee, as water as a place to breathe, but there's a box in there and it says lost and found. And it's such a funny picture because the, uh, the reality is, is it's a, it's a weird predicament. It's like an item that was lost is found, but yet it's not found, but it's also not lost. It's kind of just stuck, but you could be lost and found or lost or found and experience a season where you feel stuck. I'm here to tell you that there is grace for the middle. There is grace for the season of transition. 
This is from grace to grace. There is grace for now. If you're taking notes, you can write this reality down. That grace, that you cannot grow from grace. You can only grow in grace. You can only grow in grace. There is no grace graduation, friend. The grace of God is always available, even right now, even in the season that you're experiencing. Grace is not a one-time occurrence. It is a reoccurring reality. And so we live in God's grace, even in the now. Amen? The older brother would say, look, I have served and have never disobeyed your command. Okay. It's funny, by the way, Ruby's been doing that because, like, Amanda does that. And so I'll say something and Ruby would be like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) But the older brother believed that he... He was, out, he was outside of the grace of God in that moment um, because religion makes you think that you can get to God. He says, I have served many years. Like, haven't you been seeing what I'm doing? Well, number one, no, you didn't get every command right. Like, that's just like not true. Number two, it says you literally said that you were out and you saw your brother out there with the prostitutes and the pigs. And yet you didn't say anything. You didn't save them. You were there. You saw it. Oh, but you got the commands right. Religion. First Corinthians 13, five says love keeps no record of wrongs. So where we maybe sometimes we might find ourselves, God, you see what I'm doing for you. You see all the things that I'm doing by serving and, and I'm giving, I'm doing all these things for you. And God's not keeping record of our wrongs. So why should we keep records of our rights? In Matthew 18, Jesus and Peter would have a conversation about forgiveness. Peter would ask Jesus, how many times should I forgive this, uh, you know, this person? Like, I got this friend, and he's giving me a hard time, and I, I just I keep forgiving, and I keep forgiving, and I keep forgiving. How many times do I got to forgive this dude? Jesus says, 70 times 7. I'm not a mathematician, but Jesus didn't mean the number 70 times 7. I believe God is not looking for a people that can keep count of what they are doing for him. I believe God is looking for a people, come on, that'll lose count for the things that you're doing for him. Is there enough? There's never enough. We've received the free grace of God, so how can we even start to count? Lose count for the things you do for God, and you will live inside of grace. You'll have grace for the moment when you are not living, trying to do it for God. We don't strain to get to God. Everybody say grace. Grace. So we lose count. There is grace for you now. And, and there is grace for the middle season. So I don't know what you're going through. Maybe it's a tough season as a parent. I didn't know. I have one kid and they have seasons and they make, those seasons make me not want to be a parent anymore. <laughs> uh, oh, Ruby's had a hard three weeks. And I'm like, oh, man. Anybody want Ruby for like a day? Did you get a promotion maybe and you feel overwhelmed and this is like a heavy moment right now? Maybe, maybe you're stepping into more responsibility. There is grace for the, what you're stepping into. If you don't know what's next, maybe you're uncertain. Maybe you just left a relationship. Maybe you just left a job and you're just in the middle. I want to encourage you to know that grace, there is grace for now. Amen. And I want to encourage you to also pray for that. If you are in that now and you would identify as that person, like, man, I I genuinely feel like this is a hard time right now, that there is grace available, but pray for the grace. 
Pray, pray that God would, would release his grace over you and that you can receive it. And just declare to God, I receive your grace right now in Jesus' name. Number three, number three, there is grace for your future. There is grace for your future. The Bible says, all of heaven rejoices when one gets right with God. Do you want to know why there is this pattern of lost, found, and party, lost, found, and party, lost, found, and party? This is the pattern because when you are found, when you receive the free gift of salvation through grace, by grace through faith, your eternity is secure. And so the celebration is because we know that we know where we're going and that God has a plan. And I know that is the reality of, of what eternity is, that heaven is our home. But be, from now until heaven, God has a plan for your life, that God has created works in advance. Ephesians 2.8 says, for, we are, uh, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. This is a gift from God. Everybody say, grace is a gift. Not by works so that anyone can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance. There is grace for your future. There is grace for the, the, the thing you're stepping into. To understand that there is grace for the future is like understanding that there, that there is a confidence where you can walk differently because you know who holds your future. God holds your future. The God that gives free grace is holding your future. Amen. And so the, the father would throw a party and this party would look impractical, unconventional, excessive, expensive, but that is grace. It is, it is impractical. Grace is unfair. It's the advantage that God has over us that he can, he can give us what he wants and he chooses to give us grace. Keys could come up. Some of us can, can sometimes get so caught up in the now and forget that there's grace for the future. The older brother, I believe, lost the, the reality that there was grace for his future. He, he believed that this party was the one and done shebang. And there was no more celebration after this, that we, we were running out of everything. And the father would come to him and say, son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. So, so grace does not run out. Grace continues to run after you. And you know, as I, uh, I love the Bible. I, I literally think it's a weird love, but I'm grateful for this weird love. And I love that the Bible is so potent that there's so much in scripture that we can overlook oftentimes. And uh, when I begin to study this scripture, I begin to look at the cultural nuances of the day. Let's, let's backtrack a little bit. When Jesus started telling these parables, there were uh, the teachers of the law at the table, religious leaders, people who would know the law at the palm or at the back of their head. What's the saying? I'm, I'm bad at saying. Back of their hands. Off the top of their heads, that's how you do it. <laughs> but in that day, so you can, you can imagine that as Jesus is telling this, they're, they're, they're pre-gaming like what would happen. And there's so much in this scripture that alludes to the reality of the culture of the day. But just to tell you, the son, the younger son, by demanding his estate and going off and squandering it and acting the way he did, not only disgraced his family, but he also disgraced his community. 
the reality is that it just didn't affect just the family. And as I begin to study this, I learned that the, the law, the law in Deuteronomy would suggest that a child who would be rebellious and disgrace his family and disgrace his community would be stoned to death. So I can imagine the religious leaders sitting at the table like this son on his way home, he's about to get, he's about to get murked. And I think it's so crazy that now I read the scripture with the context in mind. And could it be that the father knew the law as well? Could it be that while the son was a far way off, could it be why the son said, I've, against, I've sinned against my uh, father and against heaven? Maybe the son knew exactly what was going to happen if he went back home. But the Bible says when the, when the son was a far way off, the father ran toward the son. Can I tell you back in that day, old people would not run especially kings. So he would pick up his robe and probably run like this. And everyone in the community would probably see, where is this? Where is he going? But he is running after the son. And the Bible says he then embraces the son. I think this got the religious people shook. They were like, I can't, if even if I had the stone, I wouldn't be able to hit the son. I'd have to hit the father because the grace of God, when it runs out, it doesn't run empty. When the grace of God runs out, it embraces God's grace embraces, his grace embraces. And even if the religious people would throw rocks, they'd have to hit the father. And that's what Jesus does. That's what the grace of God does is it covers and it protects and it takes the beating. Can you imagine this scene? I believe the father ran out because he had to walk the son in. Because if he wasn't there with the son, his son would be dead. Maybe that's why he said, Your son was, our son was dead and he's alive. Because he knew he was going to die. But this is God's grace. It's unfair. It's impractical. It's a free gift. And it's just a beautiful picture of what Jesus did. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. When Jesus was going to his death, burial, and resurrection, he saw you. He saw me. He saw the person that's on the outside. He saw the professional Christian that's on the inside. Friend, just because you're on the inside doesn't mean you're, doesn't mean you're safe. It means it could be, you could be lost on the inside. Just because you're on the outside doesn't mean you're too far off for God's grace. There is grace available today. Did you get a word from God today?